Thank you for joining us in Season 2 of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Shalom, Reverend Tolbert. Howdy, Rabbi Eric. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm, I'm vertical as usual. I'm in a chair at least, so that's something. Uh, have we gotten the new Call of Duty Vanguard game yet? No, you told me to wait till Black Friday where you think the price will go down a little. I'm hoping so. Uh, yeah, but I could be talked into getting it early. But uh, <laughs> we... My son already has it. Does he like it? He hasn't played it yet, but he pre-ordered it and he uh, installed it, but he hasn't played it yet. Got it. Apparently, the campaign is fair, but the multiplayer is really good. Yay. So That's what's important. Yeah. I am noticing that, that there are people important. in the old school, like the Modern Warfare or the Black Ops Cold War uh, multiplayer, who apparently have some special powers now. I... I used to be halfway decent at it, but people's aim bots and connection filters are they're they're starting to hack it just enough so they can always win. I played a game the other night yeah. and everybody in the whole game had like two thousand points except for one dude who had thirty two thousand points. And you realize, oh you cheater. Cut it out. Who are you get out of here? Who chose you to be so but, perfectly set aside as the one who oh, would be geez. over the rest but of Joel us? Joel, maybe you just need to get good, as the kids say. <laughs> as a, a person in my 50s, I still get first place uh, a little more often than I think I would. And certainly more often than me, which makes me very sad. <laughs> All right, let's... Uh, let's even though we could talk about that for hours, uh, let's let's talk about chosenness. <laughs> right. What what a strange word. And I saw where you, I saw what you were doing there. By the way, I know but, you did. Uh, yeah. So, what does it mean to be chosen? There are actual scripture texts where it sounds like God chooses some people for some special grace of God's, and that means God doesn't choose others, that God chooses or sets aside a certain person or a certain group to have certain benefits of God, which means God is withholding those graces or those benefits from others. And there are texts in the Hebrew Bible and in the Greek New Testament that seem to enforce God's uh, selection of certain people for certain benefits at the expense of others. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, you, you could point a finger at me. I mean, we, we call ourselves the chosen people, which <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, we think about this all the time, we being Jews. Um, you know, and some wear it, so to speak, as kind of a badge of pride. I, I find it troublesome. And, you know, it's it's sometimes kind of explained away in more liberal branches of, of Judaism as well. Where what that means is we're chosen by God to uh, 
repair the world and to do better and partner with God in creation. It's like, okay, but isn't everybody else also? Um, okay, so I can't but, really give you that term chosenness in, in either way. Um, I, I can't let you have it because I do like to imagine that God's chosenness extends beyond the Jews to the Gentiles as well. And our rabbi kind of said that. But at the same time, I can't put all the burden on y'all for the negative side of owning that term chosen because, goodness gracious, Christians walk around this world like we are something special sometimes. Like we've got it all figured out. We've got the right answers. We're the ones who've, who've done it all just right, believed it all just right, and everybody else is in trouble unless they catch up with us. So uh, in our own way, Christians, uh, we we don't often use the term chosen, um, but we'll we will in old school anyway. We use the term elect uh, that the Christians are God's elect, and the others are God's reprobate. Uh, great word, right? Uh, so, ugh, you know, I think a lot of religions have this. Um, are you an any or an Audi? <laughs> As if the people of God are belly buttons. So I'm a reprobate? Uh, maybe. That would be one of, one of the wow. old school terms. But really, even in our old school confessions, we always said that the, uh, the people of Israel were God's first chosen people and that we are included in that choosing through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, one thing that I think about it, if kind of uh, pulling up a little bit to to a more general um, thought, is we all think we're chosen to a certain degree, especially um, when it comes to religion. I think we all we all think I don't like to say all, but you know what I mean. Like we all think that our religion is right. I think there's a default that, um, you know, the way I practice my religion is better than the way you practice your religion. And e- even, I think, in more liberal contexts, I-, I think there's this default that we don't think about that often. But if we're honest with ourselves, that we do think that our religion is, quote unquote, better, more true than others. And I, it's a, I think it's an active enterprise to fight against that. And that, you know, th- there's some overlap with the idea of chosenness there. That might not be chosenness from God, but our own feeling of chosenness. In the same way, too, that, you know, the way we feel about our families, that they are more special and th- they get more they, they get more from us. They have more responsibilities. They have more rights. Like that's an element of chosenness too. You know, I don't know where that fits in with God's chosenness. That's not clearly the same, but um, but but that's where my head goes a little bit. Do we get that from scripture? Are there texts that support God's choosing of these people instead of those people or these people over those people? Well, I think so. I mean, I think it's actually pretty obvious. I mean, there's, um, I mean, first of all, you know, God picking Abraham, you know, when, when God chooses Abraham, there's from the Torah, at least there's nothing 
special about him. We don't know anything about him. There's nothing that he did to, quote, deserve, you know, God choosing him. And then um, depending on how you read the story of Moses also, but there's all sorts of things like what God clearly, we talked about this last week, God clearly um, prefers Isaac and his children over Ishmael and his children, even though Ishmael does have a sense of God's blessing and things like that. But but God lets Hagar and Ishmael be exiled. So that, that could be argued as a kind of chosenness, right? Sure. Um, it, it, well, the thing I'm trying to figure out is, do the scriptures really say that God chooses these people instead of those people or these people over those people? Or does it really say oh, something like God chooses Abraham and then we hear the story of Abraham? Yeah, no, it is. It, it's more implicit. It's the second. But, you know, even so, but just by nature of making a choice, that, that means that you're, you're not making other choices. Right? Well, you don't see the moments where those other choices might be made. Like, So there's a part of chosenness. In, in Scripture, there's all these interesting stories where Jesus is walking the streets and a dude, Zacchaeus, is up in a tree and Jesus goes, hey, I'm having dinner at your house tonight. Um, in a way, that's a chosen moment. And some might perceive that as, wow, Jesus honored Zacchaeus by going to his house. Why didn't he come to my house? Um, but what <laughs> yeah. right, but what we learn is Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house because he was the chief tax collector and he had been scraping off the top a little. So the the he was chosen to be called out, to be corrected. Um, he was chosen to be uh, put uh, held accountable and to be forced into a new way of being. So. Sometimes God's choosing of us is not <laughs> to our benefit. Sometimes it, we are chosen to serve. We are chosen to suffer. We are chosen to struggle. We are chosen to go preach the hard confrontational word that nobody wants to hear. There, And I don't like it when we talk only about the texts of God's chosenness as if uh, the benefits of God are given only to certain people and then exclude those texts where God chooses people for service and sacrifice, which the story of Abraham, the story of Moses, okay, yeah, they were chosen. And a part of that was to some benefit. Part of that was to real struggle. Uh, the call of God has a chosenness to it, but boy, there's a there's a dark side to that coin. Yes, there is. But I do – one thing that I, I think about sometimes is, uh, you know, traditionally Jewish women uh, are not allowed to do as many mitzvot, as many commandments as Jewish men are. And one of the, reason, one of the reasons that's given to them sometimes is, well, you're holier than us. You don't have to do those things. And so, and, and so this – you know, it's presented as if it's a burden they don't have to do, but it's really a way of showing, not showing, but it's a, it's a display of power because ultimately it's Jewish men that decided the halakha, the Jewish law. And sometimes we want that burden because that, that shows 
a care that's put on us or an attention or something like that. But but I, I definitely hear, hear your point. We've talked about sure. that before. And I wonder, when female rabbis lead males, do they lead them in the male parts? Well, we don't really have male and female parts anymore. Okay. The way you are the doing The only, it, right? really, yeah, I mean, in terms of prayer... There is one prayer that we say in the mornings where um, a man or woman will say, thank you for making me a man or woman. And that's the only thing that is coming to my head um, that differentiates kind of what sorts, uh, what, what what words come out of someone's mouth based on gender. You know, we're talking about chosenness. What what are some of the other moments where the people of God um, are chosen, set aside, set apart for some special uh, benefit or service? What are the other texts that come to mind for you? Well, again, it's it's a little bit obvious. So sorry to not wow anyone here, but the the chosenness of going to Israel. So much so, and this goes back to your other question, that it's going to displace like five or six other people, the Kittites, the Jebusites, the I used to know that memorized because it's repeated so often in Edomites, in Moabites, Canaanites. It, that's right. The indigenous people, uh, at least as the Torah suggests. And why is it okay? Because God chose us. I mean, that's that becomes the justification. So Edom, right, is Esau, which was always interesting to me, that there comes this point right. where the children of Israel um, feel it's their right to displace and to hate the Edomites, even though Jacob and Esau made up with one another and hugged and went their separate ways. How, how does... How, how in your way of reading those texts is the chosenness of Esau as Jacob's brother versus the unchosenness of Esau when he sells his birthright and, and uh, Jacob steals it or tricks it out of him? How does the one-time chosenness of Esau as firstborn become an unchosenness as those damn Edomites? Well, what it what something that's interesting about Genesis is over and over and over again, Genesis flips the script based of the firstborn son getting all the rewards, and it completely turns it on turn it turns it on its head. Um, you know, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac's the second born. Jacob and Esau. Jacob's the second born, and, and it it happens again and again. Um, where the Torah kind of just changes um, what was common practice to a, to a certain extent. And, you know, we also see it in uh, with Jacob. Jacob's favorite son is Joseph. You know, we all know the, the, the coat from the musical. <laughs> and uh, what that does to Joseph and his relationship with his brothers. And I think in your question, it, there's something to be teased out between chosenness and preference. So, you know, you like as a teacher, sometimes, I mean, we don't want to, of course, admit this, but, you know, there are students that we like more. There are teachers that we like more. People become our close friends because we like them more, right? And I look at that as, as a preference 
chosenness, there's something grander there. I don't know that I, that I can define it. Um, but with Esau specifically, I mean, he does not have a great fate. Um, despite, have, and, and you could, and it could be argued, well, it's his own fault. But then again, Jacob, uh, kind of took advantage of his unintelligence. And, you know, what, what, I, when I've preached on that, I've talked about Jacob literally put, well, not literally, but puts a stumbling bo- block before Esau, mm-hmm. kind of taking advantage uh, uh, of him. That didn't answer your question. Well, it's, I like the chosenness versus preference. I think we interpret God's chosen people as God prefers them, uh, God gives them special access, God gives them special benefits, uh, and we do need to differentiate the two. God's chosenness doesn't necessarily mean God's preference. Uh, it might mean something like God's assignment. It might mean something like, uh, hey, you're in the right place at the right time for the people that I need to do something with, so I'm choosing you. Uh, and it's not because you're anything unique or special. You don't even speak all that well. I don't care. You're in the right place at the right time with the right access to the right people that I'm working on. So you're up, buddy. And you hear some of the prophets talk like that. Like, I, I, you can't be me, God. You're not, surely not me. I don't know how to speak. Don't worry. Yet you'll be fine. And they feel like their lips are touched by God's fiery coal so that they can say words that that say what God needed to say into that group of people. I don't perceive that chosenness of a prophet to that responsibility as a preference as much as it is a logistical choice that God had to make to reach the people in the place at the time God wanted to. So chosenness doesn't uh, – we tend to use it religiously – as if it's some grand, powerful thing. And I can see it as a very simple, logistical decision of God that doesn't really carry a whole lot of special meaning to it. Do you see Jesus as being chosen? Or is Jesus, since Jesus is a part of God, that distinction doesn't even make sense. Oh my, now we're getting into the dual natures of a triune God, and that's super complicated. But yes, there are, um, there is language uh, in Jesus's own mouth and in some of the others who come after him about the way that uh, God's choice to resolve the problem of sinful humanity um, became God's word in the flesh. Um, so we wouldn't talk about it as the person of Jesus being a chosen person. We would talk about it as God's choice to do this thing in the person of Jesus. That makes sense. <laughs> that totally makes sense to me. It's a, it's a theological not my, trap. Not, yeah, I want to be very clear. It's not my theology, right. but that, that but that makes sense. And, and there's even moments say, okay, for me, Jesus is walking along the, the lake shore and he meets some fishermen and he says, hey, come follow me. And they drop their nets and poles and follow him that day. In a way, that is Jesus choosing his disciples, who his students will be. Uh, well, why didn't he choose Fred or Barney? 
<laughs> right? Why did he choose other characters? Uh, he chose these weirdos, uh, some whom are Greek and some who are Jew, some whom are uh, kind of zealots and some who are clueless. Uh, and why didn't he choose more women? Well, maybe he did. Maybe we just edited those out. Uh, but there is something about Jesus's choosing of disciples that I imagine some people were jealous of. And even now we might think, well, they were so lucky to be right there with him. Um, gosh, no. It, once you became one of his disciples, you saw how hard it was and it scared the stew out of you, and you betrayed him, or you denied him, or you doubted him, or you stayed faithful and died along with him later in the church history stories. So something about God's choosing um, means that you are going to do the hard work of making the world right again. I like that. that that's some good sermon material right there. Well, we get it from we get it from y'all most of the time. You get it from the chosen people. That's Let's be right. very clear. Yes. <laughs> y'all get that when God chose you, it wasn't it wasn't to suffer, right? The choice is not, hey, come here a minute. I need somebody to suffer. The choice was, hey, come here a minute. I need somebody to take a journey. I need somebody to set some people free. I need somebody to heal the wounded uh, and to and to feed the the hungry and to care for the widows and orphans and to welcome the. That's right. I mean, we call it being a yeah. We call it being a light unto the nations or hagoyim, and you hear that word gory in it, which is sometimes used inappropriately, but in that sense, it's literally a light unto the other nations, the Gentiles. Right? Yes. So, right. Which is appropriate, by the way, now, uh, you know, we're, as we record this, we're about two weeks away from the holiday of Hanukkah. Um, and during Hanukkah, it's all about lights and lighting the menorah and adding light to our lives. There's a lot of parallels there. I was just reading something and about Purim and now Hanukkah's upon us. Um, are Do you consider yourself chosen for those rituals and traditions? Or what? How, what is chosenness and ritual? How do those overlap with one another? How does chosenness interlap or overlap with ritual? That's a good question. I, I don't know because I, I don't think I would phrase it like that. That for me, the ritual is about communal tradition and law and responsibility and not necessarily about chosenness. Here's, here's um, what I'm thinking know, and see if this what, helps point you something. So if you're chosen people, do you do the rituals because you were chosen for the rituals, or do you uh, do the rituals to remind yourself gotcha. we are God's chosen? I gotcha. I think some would be the first. Some certainly would. Um, I think if you asked my, you know, I don't know what an average person in my congregation is because they're all unique and chosen. Now, but um, <laughs> if you asked, it would not be the first. I for the I, I would wager. Um, you know, it's also interesting people choosing Judaism and becoming part of that people also, you know, and the, you know, the word choice, we, we could play with that. We could play with that too. And what choices we make and what are our ultimate choices versus things that are much more banal, banal, banal. I always get that wrong. I like banal. Which is it? 
It's not canal. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, Wait, so can you choose to be God's chosen? Well, the idea is that when someone, and when I say the idea, I mean in Jewish tradition, that when someone converts to Judaism, they, they always had a Jewish soul. They're just now recognizing it. Uh-huh. And there's this, there's this other, also this idea that that they were also at Mount Sinai hearing the Ten Commandments. So it wasn't just <laughs> the Israelite people. It was people that would become the Israelite people. It's really oh, fascinating. Oh, wow. Actually. That is fascinating. So, And that's a theological trap because if we can choose to be God's chosen, then the, it's not God's choice. Right, it puts the choice back on us. So, and and we kind of manipulate God into choosing us through our choices. We have the same problem in Christianity. There are strains of Christianity that basically say to be God's chosen in Christ, um, all we have to do is something, some belief or some work. Um, and that is uh, justification by faith uh, is sometimes what it's called. But in my strain of Christianity, we don't say that. We say one cannot be justified by our own faith. Our faith is not enough. We cannot choose to be God's chosen. Um, God has to choose us. So we are justified by grace and uh, God's grace. God makes that first choice. And God's grace is, becomes evident in our faithfulness. So if you see somebody responding to the Christian walk, it's not because they finally made up their mind to do it or changed their heart to do it. It's because God's grace was always in and with them. So there's one more thing I want to say, which uh, something you, I don't know how what you just said reminded me of this, but it did. Uh, even in our, our history, we've, we, again, Jewish people have struggled with this nature of chosenness. And there's this really fascinating story in the Talmud that has God, um, basically shopping the Torah to other peoples before God brings it to the Jews. And it's like three or four other people. God's like, Hey, I have this Torah. Do you want it? Will you take it? And they're like, well, what's in it? And God says, thou shall not commit adultery. And the people say, well, that's kind of, you know, I, our code is adultery. Like we, we, we're not going to ban that. So God goes, okay, the Torah is not for you. We're going to go, I'm going to go to this other person. Thou shall not murder. And this people says, well, you know, we get by by murdering, so we can't have the Torah. And eventually God brings it to the Jews. And the Jews, rather than ask what's in it, just simply say, which are two words in the Torah, two very famous words, meaning we will do and we will listen, which another sermon for another time. Um, but it, but that story, and I'm not a Talmudic scholar, certainly with regard to the history of the Talmud, but my guess would be that that story was a way to sh- kind of push away the anti-Semitism that was coming from chosenness. We are the chosen people. Well, maybe we weren't. Look, God went to these other people too. 
Oh, interesting. So it's a way to say, hey, you had your chance. You know, it's not like exactly. it's not like God looked across and said, oh, there are my favorites. I'll go to them first. God looked at everybody. God looked at you too, you Nazis, <laughs> and and tried to <laughs> offer it to you. And you said, nah, we kind of like the murder bit. Um, and so you said no to Torah. Sorry. Um, yeah. That's exactly right. Wow. And again, that's the Talmud, and it's not necessarily meant to be taken literally. Um, but the fact that that story is even there, you know, th- there's there's a pedagogy that we're supposed to get from that, and that's what I think it is. Well, Jesus does say he's got a parable. It's lovely. Um, there's a master who's throwing a massive banquet, and he sends out invitations wide and far, and they scatter uh, all over the place. Um but he says, hey, you're going to be invited to this party, and when the day of the party comes, I'll let you know. And the day of the party comes. And so uh, the messengers of the uh, the Lord of the manor go out into the streets and tell everybody with an invitation, hey, the day of the party is here. And one of them says, nah, I got to go check out some land. And the other one goes, nah, I've got to go try out some new animals. And the other guy's, nah, I just got married and we're headed off on our honeymoon. Um, and so the Lord of the house goes, I tell you what, go into the city streets and invite everybody who's hungry. Go grab the poor and the weak and the littlest and the, and the most alones and have them come to the party. And they're like, well, what about all the others? And they said they had their shot. They're not, they're not here. Um, and so the party goes on, but not with the ones that were chosen, right? Because they were too busy doing other things. Um, and now it's the weakest and the, the littlest and the softest and the most overlooked who end up at the party while the wealthy and the privileged and the powerful choose to miss out. Choose to miss out. I like that. (laughs) Well, speaking of which, Joel, I think uh, I need to eat a late lunch. You got me hungry. Um, But I think next week we're convening and we're going to kind of share some ideas of what we're going to are we taking a break and then coming back in a few weeks or are we going to do next week as a the big wrap up this obviously yeah we have next wednesday as the big season two closer the big recap of everything else that we imagined and then we'll take december off and come back in the new year Uh, but everybody out there remember we've got an email address that you're welcome to tap us you can find us on uh, we've got a facebook page and uh and a twitter space so just uh, give us a tap if you have ideas for season three or feedback or something like that for uh, the rabbi or me perfect great joel I'll talk to you soon. Keep it real. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realigenpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.